able to stand with us tonight. If you're not able, we understand. Uh, but we'll look in the book of Revelation chapter number four. Revelation chapter number four. And we'll just read one verse of scripture tonight and then have a word of prayer and you can be seated. Revelation chapter number four and begin reading in verse number one. Revelation 4 and verse number 1. The Bible says, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee the things which must be hereafter. Father, I pray tonight in Jesus' name, Lord, that you would touch us these next few moments. I pray, God, that you would receive maximum glory tonight. I ask you, Lord, tonight to forgive us of all of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, help us tonight to not say anything that would grieve the Holy Spirit in any way. But, oh God, I pray that you would be glorified, that your Son would be magnified and the church would be edified tonight. I ask you, Lord, to give us liberty and vocabulary. I pray, Father, that you'd give us that ready turn of thought and mind, and may the Holy Spirit do what we're not capable of doing tonight. I ask you, Lord, tonight to help us to see no man, save Jesus only. God, may we set our affections on things above, and not on things of this earth. Lord, give this pastor the desires of his heart this week and these people. And Lord, I pray that you'd do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Bless the reading of thy word now. And Lord, we'll love you, and we'll praise you, and we'll thank you. In Jesus' name we do ask and pray. Amen. And amen. You can be seated tonight. I want to preach a few minutes tonight on this subject, on the reality of the rapture. The reality of the rapture. Now, I know tonight that if you're a Bible believer, then you believe that Jesus is coming soon. Amen. I like what John the Revelator prayed in this text, or this book here, rather. He said, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. And the darker this world gets, the more I find myself praying that Jesus would come very soon. Amen. I remember the days... When, uh, when I was just a young uh, uh, preacher boy, and it seemed like back then that uh, the churches were filled with preachers and was filled with excitement and filled with anticipation, and people came to church excited about the reality of the rapture. Amen. I remember that old song. seemed like it was sung in every revival meeting that we would go to. That was uh, uh, they would sing that old song. Jesus is coming soon. Amen. And preachers would preach on the coming of Christ, the rapture of the church, or the second coming of Christ. And uh, we would hear preaching about that. And I would say tonight we are closer now than any generation that's ever lived on planet earth to the coming of Jesus Christ. Amen. But yet it seems like the reality of His coming is slipping away from our churches uh, and even from our pulpits. Amen. We don't hear that much preaching like we used to on the Lord coming back. Amen. There's been a cooling down process uh, uh, when we uh, amongst the people of God. But I'm here to tell you tonight, friend, Jesus is coming again. Amen. He said, let not your heart be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in me. He said, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, he said, I would have told you. And he said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come again. Amen. And receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we know not whether thou goest and how can we know the way. And Jesus said, 
said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. I want to say tonight, if you're going to go to heaven, friend, you're going to have to go on the first load. Amen? You're going to have to get born in the family of God and know that your name has been written down in heaven. Amen? But when I think about this verse of Scripture tonight, and I think about the reality of the rapture and the reality of Jesus coming again, I see John in verse number 1 here, and there's three things that John is doing concerning this rapture that's going to take place. I think these three things every child of God ought to be doing in these days that we're living in. And so I'll give you these three things tonight, and then we'll go to the house. Amen? But I want to say tonight, the first thing that I see John doing in this text tonight, that every believer in this building needs to be doing, is I see in verse number 1 that John is looking. Amen? He is looking. Notice what he said here. He said, after this, uh, I looked. Amen? Now, the question tonight for you and I is not with just necessarily are we saved, but are we looking for Jesus to come again? Amen? I know a lot of people that are saved, genuinely saved, but if the truth be told, they're not looking for the Lord to come back. Amen? They're not living their life in the light of His return. You say, well, preacher, how do you really know if somebody is looking for Jesus to come? I'll tell you how you'll know. You'll know if they're looking by the way that they're living. Amen? Now, there's a lot of people that are saying that says they're looking, but when you look at how they're living, how they're living doesn't line up with them looking for Him to come. Amen? And John is looking for His return tonight. Now notice in this text that John is not just looking. But notice with me how John's looking. I see first of all that John is looking very patiently. He said in verse number 1, after this. After what, John? He said, well, after this. If you go back to chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3, you know that in chapter 1, John was on the Isles of Patmos, he said. He was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and he was in the Isles of Patmos. Now, Patmos was his earthly place, but in the Spirit was his heavenly place. Amen? It is possible for saved people to be in two places at the same time. Amen? John was in Patmos, but he was in the Spirit. Amen? I mean, he might have been here on earth, but there was a part of him that was already in heaven. Amen. And what I mean by that is that John found out while he was in Patmos and in the Spirit, he found out that he could have, uh, while he was having outward bondage, uh, uh, thank God in the Spirit, he had inward freedom. Amen. And while John uh, had outward poverty, uh, thank God in the Spirit, uh, he could have uh, he could have inward prosperity. Amen. And while he had outward solitude locked up in that prison camp, uh, in the Spirit, he could have inward fellowship. Amen. What I'm saying to you tonight is John is not in a pleasant place. Amen. We all have Patmoses in our life uh, that we have to go through. And then in chapter 2 and chapter 3 John writes the letters to the seven churches uh, as our Lord Jesus Christ talks to those seven churches there. And John sees everything uh, that there is to see about those seven churches. Amen. So John sees the worldliness of the church. And John sees the lukewarmness of the church. He sees the deadness of the church as he talked about Sardis. Uh, He sees the apathy and the complacency of Ephesus as they've left their first line. You say, Brother Gravely, what are you saying? I'm saying John sees a lot of bad things about the church. Isn't that right? But in spite of what John sees about the church, that's not good. He said, after this, 
He's still looking. Do you know tonight, I don't like the worldliness that's in our churches tonight. I sure don't like the deadness that's in our churches. Hey, some churches I preached in, if we'd have had a body, we'd have had a great funeral. Amen. I mean, because they were graveyard dead. And I've been in some churches where if you raised your hand, they thought you wanted to ask a question. Amen. They didn't know you was happy. But I'm talking, I don't like the deadness of the churches. I don't like the worldliness of the churches. I, I don't like the lukewarmness, but all the things that the church is, and in spite of what the church is not tonight, I'm still looking for Him to come. Amen? And what revival doesn't fix down here, the rapture is going to take care of over there. Amen? And so John is looking patiently. And then I see that John is looking personally. Look what he said there in verse number 1. He said, after this, I looked. Amen? You see, John took a personal look at what was taking place here. And what God wants you and I to do tonight is to not let this just be another sermon. You might be here and say, well, I've heard a lot of preaching about the rapture. And that's wonderful and that's commendable. But the question is tonight, is the rapture personal to you? Amen. You see, when Jesus comes, I want to be ready, don't you? Amen. And I want to be right. I want to be where God wants me to be at. And I want to be real. Amen. I see so many people in church nowadays. I'm not just talking about in the pews, but preacher, you know, even in the pulpits, we got a lot of folks, they're as phony as a $3 bill, and a lot of singers, they're just in it for the money and what they can get out of it. You know all that is true. But in spite of the things, the negative things that we could say, I'm still looking tonight. Amen. This is personal to me. And I believe just any day now, Jesus is coming again. Amen. And so John is looking patiently. And John is looking personally. But then I want you to notice that John is looking passionately. Look at that word there in verse number 1 where he says he uses that word behold. Amen. Now you know that word behold what it means tonight. It means to stop and gaze upon. It means to fasten your eyes, to, to dwell upon, to think about. And John is wanting us to think about the rapture. You know, he's not just taking a quick glance. But John is looking with anticipation. There's passion in this look. You know, I want to say tonight, I think that's what happens to a lot of our churches today. People come to church and they glance at the preaching. They just glance at the Sunday school hour. People get up and sing them songs uh, and they'll sing songs uh, that they used to thrill them and used to motivate them and speak to them. They'll just glance at the songs and just glance at the singing and you know, they'll look at their watch and they'll want to get on out, you know, just kindly glance. But I'm going to tell you, listen, there ought to be some passion in what we're doing tonight. Uh, listen, a man of God, when he preaches, ought to have some passion. Us uh, singers ought to have passion. We ought to have passion in our worship and I think there is some here tonight and I praise God for that and I'm telling you friend listen uh, we need passion back in what we're doing tonight remember what he said to the church of Ephesus you know for years preacher I thought this was a compliment but then I, I saw one day that it was not he said to the church of Ephesus I know thy works he said I know thy labor and I know thy patience and that sounds commendable but if you remember what he said to the church of Thessalonica, he talked about a work of faith, a labor of love, and a patience of hope. You see, tonight you can, and I think that's where a lot of churches are at, you can have a work and not have a work of faith. You can have a labor, you can be busy, you can be doing a lot of things, but not have a labor of love. 
You can have uh, patience, but not have a patience of hope. You say, well, what's the difference between the church of Thessalonica and the church of Ephesus? Well, the difference is Ephesus had left their first love. They lost their passion. They were still functioning, but they were functioning without the unction. They didn't have no touch of God. There wasn't no burning desire in what they were doing. And I want to say John is looking personally, but he's looking passionately. Then I see here in this verse that John is looking through a portal. Notice what he said in verse number 1. He said, after this I looked and behold a door, a door was opened in heaven. Now that door tonight is a portal. You think about that door tonight, I've never been through that doorway. I've never seen that door tonight. But that door is a portal. I have stood by the bedside of some godly saints and loved ones. And I've watched, I couldn't see that portal, that door, but, but I was there when it opened up and, and I've stood by the bedside of, of saints of God and I've watched them slip through that portal. I've watched them slip through that doorway. I've watched them leave this world and go to the next world. And so can you can say that tonight? And John is looking through that portal. Amen. You know, if you take that door tonight, that door represents two things. On one side of that door, it represents an exit. Amen? That's what those signs say tonight. Exit. But on the other side of that doorway, it represents an entrance. If I walk through that portal, that doorway tonight, what that means is I'm exiting the sanctuary, but it means I'm entering the foyer of the church. Amen? On one side, I'm saying goodbye, but on the other side, I'm saying hello. Amen? I'm walking out of one area, but I'm stepping into another one. Amen. And I'm going to tell you, friend, I've stood by the bedside of some loved ones and family members and friends and saints of God. And I listen, that portal has opened up. And I've watched them slip through that portal. And on this side, there was sickness and there was sadness. And there was suffering. And there was tears. And there was grief. And there was goodbyes. But on the other side, there was singing. And there was rejoicing. And there was a welcome committee on the other side. And there was happiness on this side. Well, it was suffering and sickness. But on the other side, it's health and life forevermore. On this side, my friend, there is darkness and gloom and doom. But on the other side, my friend, the sun never sets. And the storm clouds never come. And the winds never blow. I'm talking about John. He is looking through a portal. Amen. You know what's going to happen? One of these days, that portal, Sister Patsy, it's going to open up wider than it's ever opened up before. And it's not opening up just so somebody can come in. It's opening up so somebody bigger than all of us uh, can come out. Amen. And he's going to come out uh, and step out on the clouds uh, with a shout, uh, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. Uh, and we're all going to be called up. Uh, and we're going up to meet him in the air. And then we're all going through that portal together. I'm talking about John's a-looking. And I'm a-looking for it tonight. Amen. Just like she sung that song, The Next Hand You Shake could be the hand of the Savior. The next step you take could be on a street of pure gold. I'm talking about John is looking. And then I see here John is not only looking, but notice with me in verse number 1, John's listening. Amen. 
Look what he said here. He said, and that door was open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard. Now, John, what are you listening to? John said, I'll tell you what I'm listening to. He said, I'm listening to a voice. Well, John, whose voice is that? John said, I'll tell you whose voice that is. He said, that's the first voice. Isn't that what he said there? And the first voice which I heard. I'm going to tell you, if the first voice that John heard was Jesus, then I think the first voice that I hear on the other side is going to be Jesus. Amen. I think it'll be the voice of that good shepherd that has been with us all through the journey. And this was the first voice. But I want to tell you, it wasn't just the first voice. But for John, it was a familiar voice. It wasn't the first time John heard this voice. For three and a half years, John walked with Jesus. He heard this voice on the Judean hillsides when he was baptized. He heard this voice out in the desert when he preached to 5,000 and fed them with with five loaves and two fishes. John heard this voice as he confounded the scribes and the Pharisees and the synagogues and in the streets of Jerusalem and Capernaum when he announced his call to preach. Uh, uh, John heard this voice uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane when he prayed uh, as his sweat became as great drops of blood. He heard his voice uh, on Golgotha's hillside suspended between heaven and hell. Uh, My friend, when he cried uh, and he prayed, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Uh, He heard this voice on the Mount of Olives that day as he ascended back up into the heavens uh, and commissioned them uh, and breathed upon them. Uh, John knew his voice. Uh, I want to say when I get to heaven, I'll not be a stranger when I get to that city for I have loved ones uh, on the other side. Uh, But the first voice that I hear will be a familiar voice. Amen. You say, Brother Gravely, how do you know you're going to know his voice amongst all them people? i tell you how. Because I have his word. And if I have His Word, I'm going to know His voice. Because this book talks to me. Doesn't it talk to you tonight? I'm telling you, this book speaks to my soul. Amen. And I'm saying John is looking. And John, he is listening. And it is a familiar voice. And then I notice here, it is a firm voice. Notice what he said. He said, the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet. A trumpet tonight. Now, you know, I don't know anything about instruments. In fact, uh, if I could play instruments and sing tonight, it'd be awful. You know that? It would be. I'd be one of them singers, preacher, if I could sing and play instruments, I'd come in that door tonight dragging them instruments in. You ever seen people do that? And I'd have me a songbook with a thousand pages in it, and I'd sit right there on the front row. Amen. That's the kind of singer I'd be. And then finally, when the pastor felt obligated for me to sing, y'all probably never seen this happen, okay? But when he finally felt like, well, I'll let the old boy sing one song, I'd get up here and say something like this. Well, I really didn't come to sing, but... (laughs) Y'all ever heard that? I've heard that. Why is it the people that can't sing are always wanting to sing? Y'all, I know that don't happen around here, but... He said, well, Brother Gravely, I thought it just sing for the Lord. I believe that, but that's why we have choir loss, Amen. For people like me that can't sing. Get in there and let somebody cover you up. Amen. Don't torment everybody with your voice if you can't sing. There's a lot of other things for God you can do. Amen. Isn't that right? Oh, somebody liked that, didn't they? (laughs) Do you know what? I don't know anything about music tonight, but I'm certain about this. 
If somebody wasn't sleeping in this building tonight undetected, say they sit right over in that corner. If they was to pull a trumpet out, and as quietly as they could try to blow that trumpet without anybody hearing it, one little blow on that trumpet would get all of our attention. Everybody would turn around. You know why? Because it has a firm voice. It's impossible to blow it quietly. Now I want to tell you when Jesus comes again, He's not going to come back with some soft voice. He's not coming back slipping in. I'm telling you, there's going to be a shout that's going to go across the Milky Way. It's going to go from one end of the heavens all the way to the other end. It's going to go down to the very foundation of hell and shudder and shake the foundation of hell. And that voice is going to be so loud. It's going to wake the very dead. And those that are alive in Christ are coming up out of the grave victorious. And on resurrection morning, thank God, it'll be a firm voice that'll wake the dead and call all the children of God away. What a day that's going to be. Amen. I want to say tonight, it is a firm. Well, John is looking. And John is listening. Let me give you this last thought here in this verse. See that John is leaving. He's leaving. Notice what that trumpet says to John. He said, that trumpet talked with me. And here's what it said. Three little words. He said, come up hither. I got to think about them three words one day. And John leaving. And that first word, that first word come, it shows the desire for John to leave this earth. Now, I mean, you think about this tonight. If I was to walk outside and to see a door open in heaven, if I was to see a doorway up in the sky and see it open, I'm sure that would get my attention. Amen. I think I would stop and look at it, wouldn't you? And as I looked at it, if I was to hear a voice coming out, a talking with me, I think that would get my attention. No doubt there'd be a desire for me to go. No doubt John had a desire to go. But I want, what I want you to see tonight is the desire is not on John's side. It's not the desire for John to go. It's the desire for John to come. Amen. Have you ever thought about this tonight? Oh, if you're saved, you want to go. Amen. I'd like to go to a land that's fairer than day, wouldn't you? I'd like to go to a land where there is no storm clouds, no separation, no sickness, no sin, no Satan, no sorrow, no suffering. Wouldn't you like to go to a land like that? But I want to tell you more than I desire to go. There's a desire on the other side. Heaven wants me to come. Heaven wants you to come. Amen. I'm telling you, that means children can come. It means older people can come. It means middle folks can come. It means everybody can come. I want to tell you tonight, listen, there's room at the cross for everyone. If you want to get in, friends, you can't. I'm telling you, there's a desire for John to come to where they are. Amen. Preacher, I used to think about, and I'm sure it's happened here, I'm sure you've lost some precious church members. I mean, them ones that are faithful, they tithe, they're here three times a week. They pray for the man of God, pray for the church. I'm sure there, there's names and faces that comes to your mind right now of good, precious loved ones that has left this world. It's always hard to give them kind of church members up, isn't it? In fact, I've stood by their casket many times and, and I've looked into the face of their, of their lifeless face and I thought to myself, not questioning God, but I thought to myself, Lord, why? We needed them. 
They were precious. We loved them. We, we didn't want to see them leave. And they left a hole in the church. And, and, and we, why? And I'll be honest with you. I've also thought, Lord, why not take some others? <laughs> Y'all ever thought that? Come on now. I have. I've lost some good ones. And I thought, Lord, I've got four or five. We'd sign their pardon right now and send them on. Amen. Amen. Then I figured out he don't want them up there no more and we want them down here. <laughs> Come on now, if you're mad, it's because you're, if you're mad, it's because you're one of them, amen. <laughs> There's a desire for us to go be with him. And then I see the direction. Notice he said, come up. I like that old song that says, I'm pressing on the upward way. New heights I'm gaining every day. Still praying as I onward bound. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand. I'm talking about there is coming a day when, thank God, we're going up, friend. Amen. I tell you, if you go outside and dig a hole tonight, doesn't matter how deep you dig it, the further down you dig it, the darker it gets and the colder it gets. Uh, nobody digs a hole and says it looks better the further down you go. That's not true. Amen. There's nothing good about going down. But I'll tell you what you can do. You can step out on a sunny day when you're a little bit low and you can look up into the heavens uh, and you can see the clear blue sky and you can see the pretty clouds uh, and the sun shining through uh, and it'll lift you, your spirits uh, up because there's something good about going up. Uh, and one of these days. My life was in a downward direction when I was lost. But hallelujah, ever since the day that I met Jesus Christ, I've been pressing on the upward way. Amen. And there's the direction. And then there is here the destination. Hither. You know, I was sitting in a motel one day when I read that. I didn't I didn't have no strong concordance or no commentaries to read. And and I know what hither means. I'm sure you know what hither means, being from Tennessee and Alabama. It means come here, doesn't it? Now, they have no clue what that means up north, I promise you. And I thought, Lord, would you, uh, would you give me a definition of that word hither? Or should I tell you what it means? He said, it means, son, come higher. John's going higher than he's ever been. I'm going to tell you, God's, ta- God's taking each one of us higher, isn't He? One of these days, we're going to go higher than we've ever been. It means come to heaven. That's where John's going. And then thank God it means come home. Because I'm going to tell you something tonight. Heaven's not just a myth. It's not a myth. Heaven is not just some word in a song tonight. Heaven's a reality. More so, heaven is the home for every, for every believer, for every child of God. But I wonder tonight in this congregation, I wonder how many of us this morning, you don't have to raise your hand, I wonder how many of us this morning we got up and we lived our life as though He's coming today. See, when you think about the coming of Christ and you live your life in that light of that, it'll change the way you worship. It'll change the way you witness. It'll change the way you walk. Hey, there's a lot of people, I'm sure this will be a, a true statement. Because it would be true in my church, it would be true in any church. There's probably people that would like to be here that couldn't be here. And then there's probably people that they could have been here. But for whatever reason, they chose not to be here. What if Jesus comes today? What if He comes and you don't, what if you don't give that track to that sinner and Jesus comes? 
What is that unconfessed sin that's in your life? I know we all have to deal with it, but I'm talking about tonight in this invitation right now. If the Holy Spirit deals with you about something in your life, what about that unconfessed sin that you're going to carry home with you? What if Jesus came tonight and you had to stand at the judgment seat and give an account for something that you would not have had to give account for had you confessed it to God? I wonder if there's a backslider here tonight. You're in church. You're coming to church, but you're not giving God your best. You're not as faithful. You're not as dedicated as you could be or you ought to be. There was a time when you was closer to God than you are now. How are you going to answer to God when Jesus comes tonight? Maybe you're here tonight and you say, Preacher, I'm saved and I'm fa- I love God and I'm living for God. What about your passion tonight? I'm going to tell you something. I'm with pastors every week of my life almost. And I'll tell you, if there's any one thing I see, I see this in men of God. They're losing their passion. No, it's not all, it's not altogether their fault. Their hands are weary. Their hearts are tired. Their wives, I, I barely know this pastor and his wife. He hasn't even, we haven't even spoken much, have we? Just a few little short texts about directions and things. I don't know anything really about their life. But I will tell you this much. Men of God are wearing out. Their wives are wearing out. You say, well, preacher, they got it good. They, they preach and they, they got a church. Yeah, but I'm going to tell you something what people don't realize sitting in the pews. I didn't realize it until I became a pastor. That's the burden, the responsibility, the load. Do you realize if one, let me say this tonight before I give this invitation. I don't know anybody here hardly tonight. Do you realize if one person in this church, y'all ever had anybody, you don't have to raise your hand. Please don't raise your hand on this. Please don't raise your hand on this. Have you ever had anybody in your church just go crazy, just go nuts? I got a list of about 20. They don't come there no more. <laughs> Again, if you're, if you're not happy about what I just said, it'll probably hit you. Amen. I'm talking about, you ever had a church member just go nuts, explode over something so crazy, so minute? And they'll come to the pastor or they'll, or maybe they don't go to the pastor, but they stir up a bunch of garbage. Here's what happens. Everybody else goes home. They go to bed. They get up the next day. They go to school and they go to work and they just go about their life. Not the preacher. And not his wife. They lay in the bed at night and work. I don't know what that's got to do with the rapture. The Lord just told me to preach that. Now I'm telling you tonight he's coming. I reckon I would say it like this. If Jesus comes, I don't want nothing between me and my Savior. I don't want nothing between me and the pastor or the preacher's wife. Is that right? I don't want anything. Because people's going to have to give an account for that kind of stuff. That man watches for your soul. i tell you what's going to happen, preacher, on Judgment Day. I don't know how it's going to be. But the Bible said in Hebrews... He's going to have to give an account for your soul. And the Bible says it's better for him not to do that with grief. God's going to bring that pastor before that individual that he pastored, those congregation. And he's going to have to give a report of what kind of member they were. Did it cause you grief? Was it good to the church? What kind of member were they? The Bible said it's not unprofitable for him 
but it's unprofitable for that individual. I tell you tonight, maybe the Lord's dealing with somebody about that. You ought to get right with God about it tonight. Tonight, if you know that you're right, you ought to pray for the man of God, pray for his wife, pray for the church. Is that right? I say it in every church I go in. You ought to pray for your pastor. You ought to pay for your pastor. Is that right? I even tell them that at my church. I don't know if you're supposed to, preacher, but I thought, who else is going to tell them? I told them, I said, I say it everywhere else. Pray for me and pay for me. Amen. Don't worry, I'm not getting rich by no means. And protect your pastor. You ought to stand between him and hell with your prayers tonight. You ought to hold his hands up, and I'm sure you do. I don't, that's the good thing about being someplace where you don't know nobody. I'm just preaching to you tonight. I'm just telling you Jesus is coming.